having a commitment would mean there's a shared understanding between the public and the elected rep that we no longer invest in fossil fuel projects. What gives the suburbs of Philadelphia an edge over the central city in making commitments to 100% renewable energy? Minal Raval is leading the Ready for 100 campaign in southeastern Pennsylvania, where she and local organizers have secured 100% renewable energy commitments from 16 communities outside of Philadelphia. The core city itself, however, is a holdout. Why hasn't the city jumped on board? What's so special in the suburbs? And what tools have already been deployed to advance communities there toward cleaner energy? Minal joins us for the latest episode in our Voices of 100% series on communities that are making commitments to 100% renewable energy. This is Local Energy Rules, a podcast sharing powerful stories about local renewable energy. Welcome to the program. Hi, John. Thank you. Excited to be here. Well, I'm delighted to have you here. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things that was most interesting to me about setting up our conversation is that you know, we've done a lot of interviews for our, our Local Energy Rules podcast for this Voices of 100 series about communities that have already made 100% renewable energy commitments. Uh, but talking about Philadelphia is interesting because it has a goal of 100% renewable electricity just for the city government, not citywide so far. But on the other hand, there are 16 suburbs or other nearby communities that I can see on the Sierra Club's Ready for 100 map that already have 100% renewable energy commitments. So what is it that Haverford Township, for example, outside of Philadelphia has that Philadelphia doesn't in terms of an interest in renewable energy? Ah, good question. Uh, first of all, Philadelphia doesn't have a goal. They just have a plan for the municipal energy and that was developed by our Office of Sustainability. And I sense it's because we have an Office of Sustainability with full-time planners and energy experts that we haven't passed a resolution when we approach city council members, they often say, oh, well, the Office of Sustainability has us covered. They're on the job. Um, whereas people in the suburbs realize they don't have such an office. They just have a township manager um, that makes sure that, you know, the trash taken out and the police forces around, um, whatever. Um, and so each of them, they realize, the folks in the suburbs realize that each of them needs to work with their neighbors to engage the township officials. So that was a difference. Uh, we also sense that our city council thinks that they've done enough in the way of setting goals. I mean, they've, they've said that they're still in the Paris Accord. Our mayor made an 80 by 50 pledge. Uh, he signed the mayor's clean energy pledge. Um, these are all great things, but they're not quite the 100% renewable energy commitment we're looking for because we don't have buy-in from city council to work on the transition. So the solutions they're coming up with are piecemeal rather than from a seeing where we need to go, triage the issue and make a bigger decision. Another reason is that the suburbs have EACs in our area. They're environmental advisory committees. They've been around for decades and they've been working on things like recycling and shade trees. But the same committees are where the leadership is coming from. They're poised to push for the renewable energy resolutions. And then once the resolution is passed, they're working on the transition plan. So, so that's a difference, and we need to get our Mayor Kenny on board, as Mayor Peduto has in Pittsburgh. He got reelected for the second term. This could be his legacy. One of the things I thought was really interesting in learning about some of your background is the fact that you have an electric bike shop that you run 
in Philadelphia. I was just curious, uh, like how has that impacted your uh, work around 100% renewable? I mean, I, I just, I think that's such a, a neat thing. I've been hearing more about electric bikes. It seems like a really interesting mobility tool. You know, how does that interface with the work that you're doing around 100% renewable energy pledges? Uh, I mean, well, this the bike shop, Philly Electric Wheel, started uh, 10 years ago now, and we thought we could transform the transportation scene in the city. And we've been busy. We've had our successes, but I'm afraid it's still a car-centric city. So um, I, I myself have switched to an electric car, um, so I... But I realized that in an urban setting, it, a lot of folks park along the curb. So I'm focused on um, pushing for curbside charging infrastructure and such, and you know, electric buses rather than the diesel buses. Um, so yes, I'm still a bicycle advocate, but I think we're not gonna. We still need buses and cars to move people. Mm-hmm. Well, as another northern city resident here in Minneapolis, I'm sympathetic. We have a lot of people who bike, and I. Uh, admire them enormously and try to participate when I can, but I certainly can appreciate on on certain weather conditions that it's nice to have something enclosed to trans to travel in. Yeah. So, so all of the above, all the transportation modes, but as long as they're um, non-polluting, right? That's what we need to promote, right? Yes, exactly. So I I want to back to Philadelphia then, uh, and the and the Ready for One Hundred work. You know, the city has made one really big stride that was announced relatively recently. This contract to supply almost a quarter of the city government's electricity use from a 70 megawatt solar array. Do you feel like that provides a good example of how the city can get to its goal? And I mean, and I guess the other question I might have is you mentioned earlier that there's unlike in the suburbs, there's a big office of sustainability and people have kind of said, Oh, well, they're taking care of things. Is this an indication as well? that Philly's just going to, you know, that the, the orientation is toward, well, let's just do some incremental things rather than set a big audacious goal. Everybody in the administration is very proud of this achievement. Basically, um, the city can purchase electricity from a solar project for the same price that they currently pay for the default grid power. They were amazed that they could accomplish that. I just want to point out that this contract has yet to be signed. Meanwhile, the administration is planning on other contracts similar to this, and they're looping in um, other institutional partners like Temple University, University of Pennsylvania, Drexel University, and our transit agency, SEPTA. I think even Comcast, our big, um, well, you know, everyone knows who Comcast is. Even Comcast is a possibility. And another little tidbit is that the city's energy office is switching um, their procurement uh, from national RECs to local RECs. This is renewable energy credits. Um, and they're slowly considering solar on city buildings, which is what a lot of folks asked when we heard about the off-site solar farm being proposed. Uh, but regrettably, um, the libraries, recreation centers, and playgrounds that are getting rebuilt as part of a citywide initiative called Rebuild Philadelphia, they aren't being considered for solar um, despite uh, new roofs on many of them. So we haven't quite cracked that one. Do you have a sense? I, it's curious to me that when you have this opportunity of replacing a roof, it's such a natural time to consider it. Is it... Is part of it that the you know the groundwork wasn't laid in terms of folks in the city being aware that solar would be a good opportunity, or it wasn't just integrated with what the city was planning to do? I'm just curious what your perspective is on why the city wouldn't seize that opportunity. I think it wasn't considered. Um, 
and we feel it ought to be because because those um, those are the ideal places to have cooling centers when it's extreme heat waves. People do flock to the pools, the playgrounds, the rec centers, the libraries, and so even if our own homes aren't comfortable, we can go to these public places. So. To us, it's a logical um, option when you're already investing millions in a in a upgrading, you know, neighborhood buildings. I wanted to ask you a little bit, not specifically about the buildings, although I'm interested in coming back a little bit to some of these ways in which the city can at least try to, you know, already take strides toward the 100% renewable energy goal. Um, one of the things I think is really interesting to talk about, though, is that the the power purchase agreement which you just i appreciate you clarifying mm-hmm. hasn't been signed yet but this for this big solar array uh is an illustration of how unlike a lot of other states pennsylvania has a competitive electricity market so you know customers can actually choose their electric supplier and i'm wondering if that you feel like that's something that makes it easier or more challenging for communities like philadelphia or haverford township or, or these others that are trying to work towards renewable energy goals to reach those goals the electricity deregulation, um, from a customer choice perspective, it simply allows you to buy renewable energy credits. And as I see it, those are bits of paper. Yes, they have a value on the market, but um, it doesn't really make your electricity um, emissions free. That's one technicality. But the other issue with um, electricity deregulation is um, our utility can just shrug their shoulders and not feel obligated to any other renewable energy goals other than those set by the the state, you know, with the Public Utility Commission. That's one issue. The good thing is that there is leadership uh, to increase our renewable energy portfolio. Um, there are about 19 state senators that are trying to increase our targets from 8% to 30% renewables by 2030. That's, a, that's hopeful because that would get the utility to invest in large-scale solar farms. There's also um, a bill to transition the entire state to renewables um, by 2050. And there are six other states that have done that that you probably know about, began with Hawaii and California and most recently Nevada. So we're excited about that bill because, again, that will push the mandate down to the utilities and to the cities saying you need to make the same commitment. That's the two signs of hope. You're listening to an interview with Minal Raval, a leader in southeastern Pennsylvania's Ready for 100 campaign, as part of our Voices of 100% series of Local Energy Rules. Do you know of any folks we should interview about 100% renewable energy commitments in their community? If so, please send us an email at voicesof100 at ilsr.org. That's Voices of 100 at ilsr.org. Stay tuned for the rest of this episode after a short message from our Energy Democracy Initiative Director, John Farrell. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan, and we could use your help for just two minutes. As you've probably noticed, we don't have any corporate sponsors or ads for any of our podcasts. The reason is that our mission at ILSR is to reinvigorate democracy by decentralizing economic power. Instead, we rely on you, our listeners. Your donations not only underwrite this podcast, but also help us produce all of the research and resources that we make available on our website and all of the technical assistance we provide to grassroots organizations. Every year, ILSR's small staff helps hundreds of communities challenge monopoly power directly and rebuild their local economies. So please take a minute and go to ILSR.org 
and click on the donate button. And if making a donation isn't something you can do, please consider helping us in other ways. You can help other folks find this podcast by telling them about it or by giving it a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more ratings from listeners like you, the more folks can find this podcast and ILSR's other podcasts, Community Broadband Bits, and Building Local Power. Thanks again for listening. Now, back to the program. You know, you, you've mentioned RECs a couple of times, renewable energy credits, and, you know, one in one case about how the city is changing its REC procurement instead of looking at the national market to looking local. Is that something that utilities are providing as well in terms of, you know, you have an option? So if, say I am picking my electricity supplier, say I want to ask for all of that to come from renewable energy. Is there a way to say, I want it to come from renewable energy in southeastern Pennsylvania? I want you to buy that locally. Or is that not generally a choice that customers have in the market? I think it's national or Pennsylvania. I don't think it's uh, close to home. So even though there Uh, is this competitive market, there's not necessarily all of the choices that people might want to have. Correct. And I think uh, a concept called community solar may offer that when we get that legislation passed, where you could invest in a a share of that solar farm somewhere. So there's directly something that you can go look at, not just an obtuse thing somewhere in Pennsylvania. So we'll see about that. So it sounds like you have a lot of bills going right now. Are what when is the legislative session in Pennsylvania? Are these things being debated right now? They could pass this year, or it's sort of like these are prospective for the next year or two. Uh, it's being discussed right now. Like, okay. and we're having a lobby lobby day for the statewide bill next month. Great. It'd be. I just thinking that you know we'll have no doubt that some people who are listening to this who are in Pennsylvania might be interested in knowing you know how they can be involved in it. I'll be sharing links to the bills. Oh, terrific. That would be wonderful. Yeah, and we'll have those on the show page uh, for the podcast uh, where we also have a summary of our conversation. So, you know, we are working with local campaigns to secure this 100% renewable energy commitment. So I just want to back up for a second. You know, we've Philadelphia is this one big beast in southeastern Pennsylvania. You've had success in, you know, a, a dozen, over a dozen communities already. What's the motivation behind this? Like, what, what is so important about 100% renewable energy to be trying to get all these city-level commitments uh, to, to set that goal? Uh, you know, like you mentioned, you know, Philadelphia has other climate-related commitments that it's made. What is so important about this one in particular? Well, it's a positive approach rather than resisting something. So a lot, it's drawn a lot more volunteers than other projects have. Uh, people like the, the good vision around it. People have read enough about what the climate crisis is doing, and it's, they're happy to like latch onto a solution. Uh, but we're also dealing with the public health issue, especially being a fracking state. We, we've seen firsthand uh, our water and our air gets you know fouled by first by extraction, then by transportation, and lastly by combustion. So people have finally made the connection, and and I think actually the suburbs is where the pipeline goes through. So I think that could be one reason why they've woken up. Also, um, Pennsylvania is a fracking state, and frac gas is being pushed as if benign and as the cheapest energy option. We know it isn't benign. Um, the other reason is um, the term historically low is often used when talking about the price of frac gas. When you hear historically low, it sort of means it's going to go up, and some people are betting it's going to go up, and that means the public is going to be left shouldering you know, the cost of these investments we've made today in gas. Uh, so people are 
waking up to that and seeing the alternatives. Uh, we've also read enough reports that you know jobs in, there are more jobs in clean energy and in energy efficiency. So why don't we grab it that instead of dealing with air and water pollution? And in Philly, most of our grassroots energy is spent resisting new fossil fuel projects. So having a commitment would mean there's a shared understanding between the public and the elected rep that we no longer invest in fossil fuel projects. So that's why I'm, I'm stepping up. You know, I'm interested uh, what you said about gas. One of the things uh, that I've seen in a lot of states and a lot of conversations about energy system transformation, we have, uh, you know, and the Sierra Club has had a campaign called Beyond Coal, where it's just been focused mm-hmm. on uh, closing coal plants. And, and a lot of that has happened thanks to more competitive options, both from renewables and from gas. <laughs> um, you know, we've, and I'm just thinking of a specific example in Minnesota recently, there was a, a big settlement between some environmental groups and a utility company over buying a gas plant. It's an existing gas plant. Uh, it's not a new one. Uh, but it's part of this l- broader vision that the utility has said, oh, we're going to be able to become a carbon-free utility by 2050. Uh, and have significant reductions by 2030. But it really is premised on this notion that gas is a significantly better greenhouse, from a greenhouse gas perspective, a simply lower lower carbon emitter than coal. And I think it's interesting, you know, you're in a state where the extraction happens and the transportation, you mentioned that pipeline. Um, Do you have a lot of conversation about the fact that, yes, when you burn gas, as opposed to burning a lump of coal, less carbon emissions come out, but that it can leak along the way and that this methane is much more potent to greenhouse gas than uh, than the, the carbon uh, dioxide that's mm-hmm. emitted when it's burned. All the time. So many people repeat that at various testimonies and conversations and, and refer people to the Union of Concerned Scientists page that explains the 86% more potent page. Um, it is, and yet, I think our top officials still say gas is clean, and we haven't figured out how to how to approach them. Um, oh, there's a, there was a good discussion about our city-owned utility called PGW or Philadelphia Gas Works, and how to transform that into a post-carbon utility or something. And um, the the conversation led to not just the methane leaks during transportation, like out in the countryside, but also within the city from aging um, distribution lines. And one suggestion was to disconnect uh, segment by segment um, off the line. That So anyway, that's related to the emissions. Yeah. So, you know, you've, we've talked about some of the tools that you've got in the toolbox. I mean, I think that's interesting about the conversation with the city gas utility. You've got these power purchase agreements. You've got this conversation about renewable energy credits and the, and the city looking at buying them locally, which would drive local renewable energy investment, hopefully, you know, what other tools, you know, other than like power purchase agreements, uh, you know, are, have you and others been thinking of for the city to pursue that would help them to reach a hundred percent renewable energy goal? And, and have, do you have strategies in particular that would help provide clean energy access to low-income residents or communities of color that have often really borne the brunt of fossil fuel energy pollution? Right. So a uh, power purchase agreement is one that a city or a, a- a larger organization basically commits to buying electricity for many years out and uh, somebody else uh, finances and does the installation. The the city side would only, you know, would keep paying the monthly um, cost. So Mm -hmm. 
There's a similar concept uh, with Community Solar, which um, is expected uh, to pass in Pennsylvania this year. I hear it's House Bill 531 with about 62 sponsors. That um, would allow um, residents to basically buy electricity for the same price or less than they currently do and still buy into the, the solar farm out there somewhere. So that is a sign of hope. Uh, I think it's a 10% price discount. Um, one concern with community solar that it may or may not pass is that our electric utility may want to take away net metering as part of the deal, which net metering is how people like me that have rooftop solar get credited for the electricity we generate and don't use on a sunny day. Mm-hmm. So we think we're helping the grid by investing in this ourselves. So we don't want that, but we we do understand the need for community solar. So that's going to be a battle to watch out for this summer, I think. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunately a common thread, it seems like, uh, in mm-hmm. terms of these negotiations is, uh, you know, yes, we can win on getting people access through things like community solar and then, but in exchange, the utility is looking for some other way to keep people out of the business of generating their own yeah. energy. Um, I think Nevada tried something like that. And anyway, yeah. we have to fight our own fight here and see where it ends up. Another way is uh, to consider something called community choice aggregation, where the, the municipality could have a basically one contract for everybody's electric bill, and that, that could help with the transition. Um, San Diego has tried that, I believe, and we're working with uh, Representative Hohenstein on this. It hasn't been introduced yet. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting notion. There, I, I just wanted to throw out there for folks who aren't familiar with it that this, you know, this one city contract has allowed some communities to get much more renewable energy than their their default utility is providing. So, and, and even in um, in east in the East Bay area of California, uh, in Oakland. Uh, they're even focused really strongly on uh, workforce development and uh, and access to the to the jobs, in particular the clean energy jobs that will be created. But I'm sorry, I cut you off about uh, some other things that you were just wanted to bring up. That's fine. Other ways would be um, actually take on energy efficiency. Uh, New York City recently did that uh, by demanding energy efficiency on all their large commercial buildings, and I learned that uh, there's a bill to be introduced in Philadelphia City Council to enforce energy efficiency on our largest buildings. It'll be an expansion on our benchmarking efforts. So if you have a large office building or hospital or a college or schools, these are the kind of buildings that have the most emissions and still could help tighten some of that. And I recently met an architect from Pittsburgh who said we can retrofit commercial buildings as well as residences to passive house standards. So I think that could have hope because Philly has a lot of older buildings. And um, if we could retrofit them where they hardly use any energy, well, then we'll need a lot less solar, won't we? So right. those are two hopeful um, approaches. And I already talked about transportation, but I think many groups are asking for all electric transit buses by 2050 and um, a rapid, rapid deployment of curbside EV charging. Because people would buy more electric cars if they knew how to charge them. And in a city, you don't have your own driveway or a garage. So we need the city's help with curbside charging. 
the city is currently focusing focused on electrifying their own uh, fleet. So, but the public is like waiting um, for curbside charge. Right. So th- those are some ideas. Have you found, out of curiosity, with uh, electric vehicle charging, are the electric utilities that serve uh, customers in Philadelphia interested in partnering with the city? I would see this as a a win-win possibility for them in terms of helping to deploy infrastructure to allow people to do electric vehicles, but then also getting to sell more electricity. Uh, that, that is a great idea, and I believe our utility is interested in this. They are in, in the conversation with the city. You know, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me this morning. I was just wanted to wrap up by asking you, uh, given all of the work that you've been doing in southeastern Pennsylvania with Philadelphia, some big cities, some small cities, what advice would you have for for folks who are organizing in their community around 100% renewable energy uh, to move forward? Uh, you know, what lessons have you learned that you think other folks could really benefit from? Well, personally, uh, I would say persistence. Um, go to as many meetings as you can and speak for the climate at each one. Come prepared uh, with examples from other places. You can speak on whatever... Um, calls to you, whether it's public health or clean energy or future generations, keep at it. Uh, On the other side, many elected officials already get it, uh, but they need someone. They need the public to show them public support, to show them, you know, proof and example saying it is possible and we will back you. Here's a roadmap. And when you do that, uh, many will take the ball and run with it. So here's to that. That's great. Thank you so much. So uh, as we mentioned before, we'll make sure that some of the resources that you talked about, some of the legislation that's going on in Pennsylvania and other things are up on the show page. But Minal, thank you so much for your work and for taking the time to talk with me today. Thanks, John. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of our Voices of 100% series, where our host John Farrell was speaking with Minal Raval, organizer with the Southeastern Pennsylvania Ready for 100 campaign, about their work getting communities to sign on to a 100% renewable energy future. You can hear about the successes and struggles fighting for local clean energy in other cities in earlier podcast episodes produced by ILSR, and specifically check out other Voices of 100% episodes in this series to learn more about how cities plan to meet their renewable energy ambitions. While you're on our website, that's ilsr.org, you can find more than 75 past episodes of the Local Energy Rules podcast, with new episodes every two weeks. You can also sign up for one of our newsletters and connect with us on social media. Until next time, keep your energy local, and thanks for listening.